0: Morning, everybody. You guys well? I'm well, thank you, Mikey. A little bit more chilly. Yesterday was a a warm one, but I felt the temperature drop um, last night, but um, great to be here. I hope you um, are well and um, just really excited, I think, to get into this new book. Um, Both excited, nervous, um, feeling the weight. I think when when you start looking at One Peter, it's this incredible book that's both daunting and amazing at the same time. Um, And I have looked at two verses more than I've looked at any other verses in my entire life, I think, this last week. It's been jam-packed with these different um, doctrines and different thoughts that Peter tries to bring across to us. And I really have spent a lot of time um, trying to look at it And one of the joys is that we get to do that. Um, when you preach, when you prepare for something, and I'm sure anyone who's prepared on something, that half of the joy of it is just looking at, at the text itself and digging deeper. And I trust that we as a community will do that, even as we go through 1 Peter. Um, there's such an opportunity for you to mine God's treasures that he's given to you, and I think the only thing that stops us is us at times. But um, but want to encourage you, and uh, I know I've looked at this text so much, but um, perhaps you haven't. So I'm going to try and go through it slowly, bring us all into the story so that none of us miss actually the, the wonder of what God has for us as a, as a church. I'm going to be spending about the next eight weeks in the book. Um, I'm only going to do the first two verses today, uh, which sounds like a little, but I'm worried about time <laughs> because there's, there's, a, there's so much to try and get through here. But um, probably the best way to start is looking at 1 Peter 5, 12. Just to give some context to the letter, why Peter's writing it, who he's writing to, um, and, and just some context around that. So 1 Peter 5, 12, it says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly. And then the first one, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, which uh, we'll get to, chosen together with you, sends her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. So usually we do a half hour, but we thought we'd try something new today, and uh, thought we'd greet each other with a kiss of love, eh? All the young guns are like, yeah, buddy. Amen, <laughs> Chris. it. now just calm down. And if you're husband and wives, you can do that. Otherwise, um, we're not about that laugh here for now. But um, okay, that's my only joke. No more, no more jokes, guys. It's all serious now. Dave, I'm not Jew. I wish I could bring jokes like you. You've got one for every moment. But um, so Paul's, I mean, Paul, Peter's busy writing to encourage the church. He's testifying about the true grace of God. So he's trying to teach the people about the wonder of his grace um, and and to stand fast in it. Why? Because this church is currently going through a bit of suffering, a bit of trials and difficulty. And um, they say that the book was written around AD 63 sometime after Paul was finished in Rome, in prison, and sometimes before the the persecution of Nero. You may have heard of of how Nero persecuted the church, and it was this large outbreak. So what happened was there was a fire that happened in Rome, and Nero um, blamed the Christians, and there was this intense persecution that broke out against the church. They say that it was so bad that the streets were lined with Christians busy being set on fire. That's how bad the persecution was. But it wasn't there yet. It was happening just before that. So something of the the, the, the difficulty was starting, and Peter, perhaps even prophetically, could see what was coming and is wanting to now put strength in the church to be able to walk through the difficulty which they will face. That's the heart of the book that Peter's trying to, to write. And he writes it from Rome, they say. Um, he says, yeah, Babylon, but Babylon is referred to as Roman um, revelations. And, uh, and that's where he's writing. So where, um, who's he writing to? He's writing to the church. So I've got a map just, um, Louis, if you could put that map up. So this is the map in first century um, sort of Turkey. So he's writing to the church in in Bithynia and Pontus, Cappadocia, Asia, and a couple of other places. You'll see the list that he writes there. So today would be modern-day Turkey. Maybe just put that next slide on. So that's modern-day Turkey. You can see there it's the same region. So it would have been called Asia Minor back in the day, just so you get an idea geographically. And um, what I love about this is this church was probably, or these churches were probably planted out of Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2, you see there's a whole lot of people around. Peter gives this incredible message where it says that there's a whole lot of different people there, and, and, and a lot of these people were from that area. So these Jews would have taken the gospel that they've heard now that Peter preached, gone back to their home, preached the gospel, churches planted. Incredible gospel spread through the area. Why? I've spoken about because the church is probably going to go through a time of suffering. But he also speaks about the glory that will be given to them, the eternity that awaits them, the wonder of what God calls us to. And, of course, he reminds us about the wonder of his grace. I think if I had a memory verse for this book, it would probably be for me chapter um, Peter, 1 Peter 5 verse 10. And it says here, And the God of all grace who called you, to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I think for me, I love that. That catches the heart of the book. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And if you get that, I think it gives us hope. All of that. If you get those three things, that you, you may go through suffering, you will go through suffering. It's one of the gifts given to us as Christians, one of the mechanisms that God uses to make us more like Jesus, even though it seems painful at times. And, uh, and we'll speak about suffering. I think my favorite, favorite um, preach title for a series on the book of Peter says, Splendor Through Fire. And I love that because as God takes you through difficulty, Um, You can either come out glorious and and, and you find a new sense of splendor, or you come out like a piece of charcoal, depending on how you walk through it. Suffering doesn't necessarily just make you more like Jesus, but how you walk through suffering. How you walk through suffering can can actually help you to come out like pure gold, which we'll get to as we look through Peter. Does that make sense? Did I bring you into the book? Do you feel like you're there? Yes. Okay, let's, let's look at the text. I'm going to read it in four different translations. I just want you, because I've looked at it a lot, I'd love you to get into it as well. So first one, NIV. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace And peace be yours in abundance. In the ESV, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. In the message... I, Peter, am an apostle, an assignment by Jesus, the Messiah, writing to exiles scattered to the four winds. Not one is missing, not one forgotten. God the Father has his eye on you and is determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus. May everything good from God be yours. I thought the Amplified, it's a little bit wordy, but let's just listen. I think it will help us to hear the text. Peter? An apostle or a special messenger of Jesus Christ writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion scattered or in brackets are preferred sowed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who were chosen and foreknown by God the Father and consecrated, which means sanctified or made holy by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ the Messiah and to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace or spiritual blessing And peace be given you in increasing abundance. And then it explains that it says the spiritual peace to be realized in and through Jesus, freedom from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflicts. Beautiful, there. Often what I'll do is you just read read across across a few different translations, and it helps you to give a little bit more breadth on the text. And the first thing that we see here is we have a man named Peter. And I thought I'd just speak about Peter a little bit. And I've got a couple of things about him that I think is beautiful for us to be able to learn from his life. I think all of us can relate to Peter in some way, shape, or form. I love Peter. He's often given some, some bad press. But, uh, but I think he, at the same time, he should be given some incredible press. Because he was an amazing man. Passionate about Jesus in every way. In some ways, his passion drove him to be overzealous in some ways, to, to act before thinking at times. But, um, but an amazing man, no doubt, his love for Jesus was real and, um, and, and sure inside of him. Um, he was a man who went through many ups and downs, and I'll talk through some of them. But the first thing that, that I like about Peter is he's not a man of exceptional origins. What do I mean by that? He's not from like a, a high-standing family. Um, he's not a rich uh, man necessarily. He doesn't have any social standing that we know of. And I love that because that's most of us. Most of us think we, we can't be effective for God because actually we want not weren't born into a great family or perhaps you come from a family that that you, you don't even want to speak about but but I love how God says in 1 Corinthians 1 26 brothers and sisters think of what you were when you were called not many were wise by human standards or influential not many of you are noble birth but God chose the foolish things of the world you and me to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong God chose the lowly things of this world The despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. I love how God is able to take those things that look weak, you and me who feel weak at times. He chooses us, He puts His spirit and He calls us, and He uses us for incredible um, um, assignments, like this book that Peter wrote. He uses us. Why? So that no one may boast and that he would get all the glory. And, and you don't need to let where you were born or, or what family you come from stop you from moving into the things of God. Two, he's an unschooled, ordinary man. Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took notes that these men had been with Jesus. This doesn't mean that he was doff or, or stupid or um, didn't have any education. It means that he didn't have a formal education. What does that mean? He wasn't a professional. And I've loved this, particularly in South Africa's conversation. Oh, if you don't get your degree, you're going to have absolutely no chance in this life. If you don't have a professional qualification, you're not going to be able to do anything effective for God, then we can equate that to. And what God's saying here, actually, is that no, you can and I've been loving reading Psalm 119, it's a very long psalm, but it speaks there about actually through meditating on God's word, through knowing Jesus, I, I, I'm actually far cleverer than my, my teachers, far cleverer than my elders even it speaks about. Why? Because I've been with Jesus. And I think so often, particularly if you don't have a, a degree of some sort or some sort of formal education, you can think, well, perhaps I'm not useful in the kingdom of God. Perhaps I don't have anything to add. And I just want to encourage you, actually, these were unschooled, ordinary men who had no formal education, but they had been trained by Jesus. And don't let your education status stop you from walking into an incredible life in God. There's an incredible opportunity. If you know Jesus and are with him and, and, and allow yourself to be trained by him, he can use you for incredible exploits. Don't let those things stop you trained by Jesus, and I love Peter, I mean, he had some incredible mistakes, <laughs> some uh, humdinger moments, for lack of a better way of saying it, but I mean, he denies Jesus, I don't know if you've ever done that, like, publicly, he denies him, like, you know, you think about how Jesus says, if anyone denies me in front, I will deny them, that was a, a terrible thing that Peter did, he, he, that was probably one of his ultimate lows. I mean, he was basically called Satan by Jesus. I don't know if any of you have had that. He says, get behind me, Satan, not naming him Satan, but actually get behind me, because right now you have in in mind the things of man and not the things of God. Another very low point of Peter. Peter. Cuts off a man's ear when he's supposed to um, be, just be walking with Jesus. He, he acts forcefully rather than, than in prayer. It's amazing how he can't stand and pray, but he's able to, to act with a, with a moment, with passion when he, when he sees it. And I think so often we like that. We try and act out of, out of our own strength rather than in the, the gifts that God's called us to, um, which was prayer there. But then he has some incredible how moments. Filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, he preaches this incredible sermon where 3,000 people get saved. 3,001 moments, the beginnings of the church. He has the beautiful revelation of Jesus being the Christ in Mark chapter um, 8. I said Mark chapter 16. That's wrong. There is no Mark 16. And then uh, the transfiguration, this moment where he sees Jesus almost unveiled in his true glory on this mountaintop, these, these highs and lows. And, and so many of us in our walk have these these highs and lows. And you, But it's amazing when you see Peter filled with the Spirit, how his life stabilizes. It doesn't mean that he doesn't do anything wrong again. I actually quite like that in, in Galatians, Paul has to oppose Peter because again he's slipping into his old ways. And that's part of what our, our lives as Christians are, is is we are trained by Jesus and we're trained by one another. And sometimes we need to be corrected. And Peter often was corrected and trained by Jesus and by people around him. And it didn't cause him to shrink back. It didn't cause him to stop. It didn't cause him to, to pull back from the things of God. And so often we see people being trained and they get perhaps rebuked or corrected. And what happens? They think, I'm over this. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm my own man. Nobody tells me what to do. And we see people jumping out of this, this training that God has for us. And, and in so doing, they lose out on something of the fullness of the inheritance that God has for them. I love how Peter allows himself to be trained and and we at the same time should allow ourselves to go through that training, which sometimes means you will be corrected, which sometimes means you will be severely rebuked, let's even just say. Sometimes it also means that you'll be encouraged and that you'll be strengthened and that you'll be restored and brought near as Peter was again. Even after his denying Jesus three times, Jesus comes back to him and restores him and reinstates him and again puts strength into him for the journey why i love peter he understands grace he understands grace he's a man who's had to walk through the graciousness of god who's had to have grace extended to him no longer sufficient in himself it's amazing how god humbles us through difficulty and that's part of what this book is going to be speaking about and it it makes us more like jesus and that's why i love peter his message changes from i'm going to 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 not even about himself but look at jesus Look at him. His message, when he, when he speaks in Acts chapter 2, his first message is, brothers, don't look at me. What is his first thing? He speaks about Jesus. I love that. Our message changes as we walk where we, we in our, our security, often want to speak about our, ourselves. But, but here, his message changes no longer about himself, even in the opening lines of Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Then what does he do? He speaks about you. He speaks about you. He learns to encourage others. Why? Because he knows himself. He knows how weak he is. He knows how fragile he is. He knows the grace of God and how how much he needs it desperately every day. Peter, a beautiful man, a changed man. I love how he's a humble man. Even I mean, he's an incredible man, Peter. An incredible authority, an apostolic authority that that literally he's able from a fisherman to, to a man who's now speaking the very words of God. Isn't that incredible how God can change you from, from whatever you are to a person who speaks the very words of God? Not in the same sense as Scripture, but, but you can speak Scripture, and God can use you with a sense of authority to bring change into people's lives, to bring truth into people's lives, to change the course of, of a business or your family. It's amazing how God can change you. But humble to the elders among you, and 5 verse 1, he says, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness, he's not elevating himself above everybody else, just saying, I'm, I'm Peter, I'm an apostle, and I'm an elder, just like you, also hoping for the same hope, and the same glory that will be revealed, Peter, I love him, to God's elect, to elect exiles, God's chosen sojourners of the dispersion, is another way that you could say that, elect And I'll come back to that a little bit later when I'll speak about chosen. But to the exiles. So what is an exile? Somebody who's a temporary, temporary resident in a foreign land. So often this is um, spoken about of the the, um, Israelites throughout Old Testament history. This whole text is actually, it's steeped in Israel's history. And here, here Peter's busy speaking to a group of Gentiles, probably mixed with Jews giving them the same status as God would have given to Israel throughout the Old Testament, which is remarkable because Jews, to speak about Gentiles having the same chosen status as, as the, the Israelites was mind-blowing. I mean, God had to completely reshape Peter's whole way of thinking. Even in Acts chapter 11, you know when that sheet comes down with all these different animals on and, and, um, and God has to say, Peter, don't call Um, unclean what i have made clean it's it's god busy reshaping peter's mind around the gentiles why because israel had this 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 view that they were of a higher um race and status than everybody else in the world and here god shapes peter through this this vision that he sees and and through that he sees actually all who are called and chosen by god have the same status before him as israel did in the old testament which is incredible an amazing moment. he's had to have his whole Jewish ideology shaped. And I've thought about even our own South African um, nature, our own South African conversation of race and difficulty that we've seen throughout history and our segregation and, and how God has to reshape all of our ideologies to fit in with his word and his truth. And he needs to do that. And Peter, in this moment, is actually, he's, he's now displaying how true God's gospel is and how much it changes us, that every person who calls upon the name of the Lord can have the same standing as God's pre- precious chosen possession, Israel. Isn't that incredible? I think that's amazing. God's elect, um, speaking to Gentiles, saying, actually, you're exiles. And why are they exiles? Because they don't belong to this world. They belong to another world. And I think that's something we've been seeing through Philippians, into Ruth, into our values, and now into the book of Peter, is there's another kingdom that's at play all the time. And we are not a part of this kingdom here, earth. We are part of another kingdom. Even as Philippians 3.20 says, we're citizens of heaven. We're no longer citizens citizens of earth. Our home is not this place. Our home is in heaven. And we'll speak about eternity as we get into chapter one. But he's trying to lay the foundation saying, you guys do not belong here. You are sojourners. You are exiles walking among the people, yet a part of this world. Does that make sense? Sojourners, um, I've spoken about that, scattered. um, I love that wherever they went, um, they took the gospel with them. As they heard it, they took it. Wherever you go, take the gospel with you. God will sometimes scatter you. I mean, here we have a gathered moment. The church, I love to think of the church on Sunday, gathered, whole, together, being strengthened, scattered through the week, taking the gospel with us as as exiles into a foreign land, yet with the beautiful truths that that can allow others to see the wonder of God. Pontius Galatia, I've spoken about that. Okay, we're going to get into chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What does that mean, chosen? Um, I've had to spend a lot of time on this because Sometimes this doctrine has separated Christians. You have these two camps that I choose God, God chooses me. And, and, and you have this, this division that happens within the, the, the church um, through different theological frameworks. And I don't want to get into that whole discussion. But but this here is speaking about how God chose you according to his foreknowledge. Before the foundations of the earth were even created, God the Father chose you and Known you. He knew you beforehand. Isn't that incredible? Since since before creation, in eternity past, there was God thinking about you. Before you knew anything about God, God fully knew you. Fully knew you. He fully chose to, to known that word known is not an intellectual knowledge of facts, but it's the type of known where a husband and a wife come together where it says that Adam knew his wife Eve. That doesn't mean he knew some intellectual facts about it and a baby popped out. It means that they were intimate. And they were, they were, they were displaying the deepest kind of love that people can display together, where, where there's an intimate knowledge of you, that God intimately knew you and chose to set his affections upon you since, the, since eternity passed. Isn't that mind-blowing? Isn't that mind-blowing? I mean, have you thought about that? Have you let that sink into your heart? That should bring you incredible comfort that God fully knew you, fully known. The story did not begin with you, but the story began with God. God is the center of the story, and then and, and he allows us to come into the story of that he's busy unfolding all through um, um, this age, even here and now. So often we think life is this, this thing that needs to be figured out, this puzzle pieces that needs to be fit to. Together, but 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 the reality is that life is not a puzzle that needs to be figured out. It's a person that needs to be known, and as you get to know this person, he he reveals to you who you are and who he is and what he's doing and what he's calling you to. He's chosen you beforehand, and he's known you fully. And as you get to know him, I think you get this 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 confident assurance that that you know that you know that you're his, and that love that is shown to you is the thing that keeps us steadfast throughout the suffering that that we will walk through as Christians. Peter's trying to put comfort and strength into into every believer who will work through suffering, saying that actually before you even went through the suffering, and that's why where it speaks about elect exiles, chosen exiles, some have even said that he's chosen you before the foundations of the world to be his and to walk through what you're walking through right now. How's that? He knows where you are, He knows what you're going through, and He's chosen you beforehand to do that. Incredible truth and incredible comfort because you're not where you are if you're going through a time of suffering by accident. You're not there by chance. You're not there because um, of the forces of nature. No, you're there because God has chosen you beforehand and has allowed you to walk through these difficulties to shape you and to make you more like His Son. Whoever loves God is known by God. I love that. Whoever loves God is known by God. And do, does God choose you? Yes. The doctrine of election is throughout Scripture. There's no doubt about that, that in some way or sense that God does choose you. Do you need to receive him? Yes. As true as that doctrine. To all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. God chooses, we receive. How does this work? I don't know. I don't know. And it is mysterious. And I think anyone who tries to overly explain it, sometimes there is mystery within the kingdom of God. Some things that we won't understand, some things that we won't know. Are both doctrines true? Yes. Do I need to know to be able to believe? No. No. Do you need to know all the truth of marriage before you get married? No. Is there a mystery to marriage? Yes. Yes. Most definitely, there's a mystery to marriage. There's a deep mystery to marriage, which we won't understand. And some things are hidden within the the, the triune God that we will only one day see. And we may not know now. For now we see in part, but then we shall see fully. But I think the doctrine of the election is beautiful, and it can give you great comfort and great strength when you're walking through difficult times. Sometimes when I've really messed up, I say, Lord, you chose me. (laughs) You chose me. And it brings me great comfort. Because it's by his grace. It's not because of anything wow that I've done. It's not because of who I am. It's not because of what I've, I've, I've got or done. It's because he chose to set his affections, to set his love, to set his grace upon me. That overwhelms me. When I go through difficulty, Lord, you've, you've chosen me, and you know who I am, and you've known since eternity past who I am, and you've formed me in my mother's womb, and you you formed, you shaped my frame, and, and you know where I'm, I'm, I am now, even when I'm walking through difficulty, and that brings me such great comfort. In or through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, set apart, now sanctification can take two parts, and one is, is initially when God, when you, when you come to faith, when you say, "Lord, I receive You as my King, as my Savior, as my God," there's a there's initial setting apart, which means that God God makes you Himself. You're now part of His people. You're 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 set apart for Him and Him alone, and that's part of that where we become exiles. It's amazing. You remember when you gave your life to Jesus, and and um, you try to go and tell people who perhaps were your friends before, about the wonder of what you've done, and they look at you like, what are you talking about? You're nuts. Because in a sense, you've now become an exile. You've become a part of a different world, a world that that doesn't understand this world as such. Um, or this world doesn't understand what's happened here because you've been set apart by the Holy Spirit as the people of God. And that's okay. Don't, don't fight that. But let God set you apart, which he'll speak about even as, a little bit later. But then also what the Holy Spirit does is he begins to make us more like Jesus. He begins to shape us and form us and lead us and guide us and speak to us and come alongside us and help us and transform us into the likeness of Jesus. So there's an initial, he, he, he sets us apart, I'm yours, I'm yours alone, Lord, you're mine, I've chosen you, I've set you apart, you belong to me, and now we're going to go on a journey. <laughs> and that's the hard part of Christianity. That, but at the same time, the beautiful part, where some of these old things from this life get taken off and you, you're shaped into this new person that looks more and more like Jesus, that finds joy and hope and, 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 and fixes their hope on, on eternity, and this is beautiful work, Of the Holy Spirit who does that and and the Holy Spirit even it's it's quite difficult to separate these three yet Peter does but they're all working together all the time God calls you chooses you the Holy Spirit setting you apart um, and Jesus is busy shaping you into his likeness and, and it's for obedience to Jesus it's these these things that are happening all the time three distinct persons in the Trinity different roles but working together to accomplish our salvation it's incredible. You've got to go and unpack it and look at it and ask God to show you incredible things. But what it's supposed to do is to bring us comfort and strength for the journey that He's called us to. So, in and through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And I love how somebody said, when God calls you, He brings you into sometimes these difficult situations. And in the Holy Spirit, in these difficult situations, He's busy sanctifying you. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So he's both, he's both setting you apart, but he's also brought you into the, 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 the presence of the Spirit. It's almost like the Holy Spirit surrounding everything that you're going through, shaping you to become more like Christ, for obedience to Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I think this both speaks about our initial, I uh, receive you as Lord, but even more than that, it's... Uh, it's walking in the way of Jesus, which both the Holy Spirit is helping us with and the Father is present there, shaping us to be like his son. And, um, and uh, I think um, I'm going to speak about and for the sprinkling of his blood because they're so tied together. Sprinkling of his blood. It's a very weird statement. Have any of you been sprinkled with blood before? I hope not. We were actually, we are joking in the office. Christianity celebrates being drenched in the blood of Jesus. I mean, it's quite like... Quite weird if you think about it, you know. There's a couple of songs that, if you if you're not a part of the uh, the church or of Jesus' people, it must sound really weird. I mean, drenched in the blood. It's the blood. It's it's the blood. We we celebrate blood. <laughs> it's like quite weird if you think about it. It's a little bit grotesque in some ways, you know. Like, and you even see um, like these bloodthirsty gods throughout like Greek and Roman mythology, and you think like, man, that's terrible. But the blood of Jesus is beautiful. Why? Wow. Because we see three times that the blood of Jesus, or that the sprinkling of blood term is used. And the first time is in Mount Sinai, um, in Exodus 24. And Moses takes the blood of a lamb, and he, and he takes half of the blood, and he sprinkles it on the altar. And then he takes the other half, and he sprinkles it on the people. And it's this moment where, where, where God is busy covenanting with his people. It's this moment where he's busy saying, actually, I'm covering you with my blood to say that you are mine incredible moment in Mount Sinai where he reads out the law and the people say, Lord, we're going to do this. Yes and amen. And then we see what happens after that. It's a bit difficult, but there's this moment where they're sprinkled with the blood. It's this idea of covenant. It's this idea of entering into a relationship with the Father. In the same way that Jesus's blood covers us when we place our faith in him, we enter into a relationship with the Father. And because of his blood and because of our, our coveredness, he enables us to become obedient to himself. It's not this thing of, of, of now because you've got the Holy Spirit and now um, God's chosen you from beforehand and he's done this incredible work, now really you've got to go and make an effort and do it better. That's not what God's saying here. He's saying, actually, I've chosen you since before creation of the world. I've set my spirit upon you and I've set you apart to be my people I've sprinkled you with the blood of Jesus. I've, you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, and now you're free to be obedient to him. Now you're free to live in the way that God's called you to. Isn't that beautiful? God God acts on our behalf. It's the gospel um, beautifully preached here by, by Peter is that you've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus to enter into covenant relationship with the Father. You've got access to the Father by the sprinkling of this blood. Not, not the blood of rams or bulls or lambs, but the blood of Jesus, which allows you to every day enter into the presence of the Father, enjoy access to Him and relationship with Him, which, which can only bring about obedience. Why? Because you love Him. And you've experienced his love. And when you experience his love, you want to live in the way that he's called you to. He changes you on the inside. He, he gives you a new heart. And he, and, he, and, he, and he helps you to become more like Jesus. But not only that, there's another place where the sprinkling is spoken about. And it's when um, um, a leper is cleansed. Where um, a, a leper's you know, let's just say they get healed from their leprosy. They would go then to the priest, and the priest would sprinkle them with blood. And it's this is idea of of you were, in a sense, not a, not a, not a part of the community, but you didn't have access into the community because you were um, stained, in a sense, because you were not whole or pure. So lepers would never be allowed to enter into the community of God. Didn't mean that they weren't a part of it, but they weren't allowed to fellowship with. And I've loved this because. Even in our walk as Christians, we want to be obedient, and we long to be obedient, and God puts His Spirit in us, but yet we still find ourselves as disobedient. It's quite remarkable after all that God's done, but but it's because our flesh is so strong. And, and there's often times when there's things that we do that... That, that we feel like we've messed up or we feel like we've, we've broken fellowship with our God because we've chosen our own way. We've chosen sin rather than ourselves. And we feel the stain of our sin on our lives. And often it feels like it distances ourselves bef- um, between us and our Father. And that doesn't mean we're no longer a part of the people of God, but it feels like we've broken fellowship with Him. What I love about this is the blood of Christ continually sprinkles us. It's this idea of it will always cover you throughout your walk as a Christian and all the difficulties and the suffering that you'll go through in every area where you feel like you've messed up. You can, again, the sprinkling of blood washes me. And again, I repent and enter into fellowship with my Father. It's not your position. It's relationship. It's, it's, it's closeness with God. And we know whenever we sin, we feel that distance between ourselves and God. But the sprinkling of his blood, uh, enables us to continually be obedient to him even when we're disobedient to come back again his mercies on you every morning and as you walk through suffering and as you walk through difficulty and the intense fires that you go through and the mess-ups that may happen along the way the sprinkling of his blood will hold you sure in close fellowship with your father to enable you to get through what he's called you to isn't that beautiful Grace and peace be yours. Grace starts the story. It's by grace that you enter into covenant with your Father. It's by grace. It's a gift. It's not anything that you can do for it. And I even felt, even for Peter, I mean, can you imagine that moment when he was being reinstated? I mean, he must have felt terrible. You know, this Lord that he loved deeply, he denied. In a moment of weakness, he denied. And he... um, he actually said he, said he called down curses. I wonder if it was on Jesus. I wonder what he said there. I wonder how bad it was, you know. But, um, but then Jesus comes back to him. And, and can you imagine that moment of grace where he was standing on the seashore, Jesus standing there, and, and Peter on the boat, and, and, he, and he hears his Lord. And then he hears these words spoken of him. Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. There's this, there's this beautiful moment of grace which is extended over him, covers his weakness, covers his shame, covers his sin, and he's able to be free again. Isn't that beautiful? Grace. Grace extended to you. We need grace daily. We need grace for ourselves and our sin. We need to be forgiven. I think so often we, we just think we can just say a word and it's going to be better. And even we just confess, no, but, but we need the blood of Jesus to cover us to wash us completely. We need the death of Christ, the cross of Christ, and all of its um, rawness and and, and grotesqueness. We need the blood of Jesus to cover us. Not just a a quick word, but but the blood of Jesus to cover me and his grace fully extended to me so that I know that I'm completely washed and his grace completely covers me and completely sets me free from my sin and from my death and from everything that, that I deserve. Grace extended to me and then what I love is grace is extended through you. I love how Peter's able to extend grace to all of his heroes. Grace. Why? Because grace starts it. Grace will carry you through. And grace, it says grace will be waiting for you at the end. Isn't that beautiful? Grace and peace to you. Peace is this beautiful word of shalom. Oneness. Wholeness. Nothing missing. Like your body's working completely well. Properly. Like if you've got a sore thumb, that's not shalom that's 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 unshalom you know that's that's a lack of peace i mean it's amazing how when when you you saw somewhere i had a cut on my finger with a potato peeler. man it was sore i was amazed that i saw it was there was no shalom in my body for the next couple of days it was weird you know but but he but he says peace to you wholeness and not in your body but wholeness between you and god wholeness we need wholeness we need, we need oneness with our Father. We, we feel agitated. We feel um, unsettled. We feel insecure when we don't feel the oneness that we desire and need with God. And that's why he says grace. This, this beautiful gift that's given to you from the start is needed for the start, for your life, right to the end. And peace throughout the whole journey. Would you experience the peace of God? I think we need peace. Even now. This day, economy, work, family, um, all of the above. I need the peace of God to hold me sure, to hold me steadfast. And that comes through knowing that he's chosen me since the foundations of the earth, is by the sanctifying work of the Spirit being set apart by his love, by his grace, for obedience to Jesus and the sprinkling of his blood, which keeps me in fellowship with my Father as I walk through all the difficulties that he may call me to. That should inspire hope within us. Amen.